And we're going to let Brother DeMuth get everything turned on up there. And I'll quote your memory verse to you. Oh, good. He's got it. Mark 4, verse 40. And he said unto them, Why are you so fearful? Fearful. How is it that you have no faith? Maybe they never learned their memory verse. Wasn't written yet. <laughs> well, but they all they had they had something. They had something. The word casts out our fear. And we're gonna get into that. So there are memory verse for this month. It's so short. And all of us know it. We just didn't realize that it was the memory verse yet. And he said unto them, Why are ye so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? Easy peasy, measy, measy. We'll all have it by next week. Okay, so faith is defined as allegiance to a person or duty. Belief and trust in loyalty. The belief and trust in and loyalty to God. Firm belief in something for which there is no proof. That's important. Faith is firm belief in something for which there is absolutely no proof. You can't prove it scientifically. You can't prove it historically. You can't prove it maybe any way. There's just no proof for it, but you just believe it. That's faith. That's faith. Oftentimes. It's a complete trust. Now, Faith also is building on something. You can build, that's how we grow our faith, but that's the initial faith. Something that is believed with a strong conviction. And its faith is defined as something without question. You don't doubt it. You just know that you know that you know that you know. You don't question it. I know that Jesus is coming again. I don't question it. How do you know? I just know. Now his word says it. I believe his word. But some people, his word says it and they don't believe it. So how do I know it? I just believe it. I Exactly. But that's what faith is. I can't use a word to define a word. So we're going to get there. The writers of Hebrews says in Hebrews 11.1, 1, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Once I see it, I don't have to hope for it anymore. On Christmas, up leading up to Christmas, I hope that I'm going to get the bike. I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope. Well, now I don't hope for a bike. I hope for the new cricket. I hope for the new crafting thing. I hope for my heat press. I hope for my whatever. But once I unwrap it, and voila, they got the hints and it's there, I don't have to hope for it anymore. Now I can just enjoy it. Right? So once I have it, once the pen is in hand, I don't hope for it anymore. It doesn't take faith to believe it. I have it. But faith is what leads up to getting it. Anything that you can see doesn't require faith. Seeing is believing. No. That's not faith. 
if you have to throw and have all the, what are they called, fleeces, yeah, your faith is probably a little bit weak. Parker. Your convictions have the rest of the story, because some people that had to have fleeces from God had a rough road. Read the rest of the Testament. Wasn't always a pretty picture. Faith is trusting in those things that you cannot yet see, but believing them as if they are. You believe it. Faith is, okay, faith is, this. imagine if you would, I won't put you into total darkness. You want me to put you into darkness? Brother DeMuth, would you shut those lights off back there for me, please? First of all, that's faith. Faith was just, he's going, he's going to shut those off. Faith is walking in. Imagine if you would that this room is pitch black. The sun is set. Totally dark in here. You cannot see me. Okay? Imagine. Use your imaginations. We're on the imagination train right now. And I walk in, and I know where the light switch is. Even though I can't see it, I just walk in, and I flip the switch. That's faith. Faith led me up here. To find the switch, nobody moved the switch. That's faith number one. Faith number two is that when I flip the switch, poof, it's going to come on. That's faith. We have faith. You can turn them back on, Brother DeBooth. We have faith all the time in our lives. We have faith that when we walk out to our cars and we stick the key in the ignition. Well, I don't stick my key in the ignition anymore. That's really faith. I have faith that the battery is not going to be dead in that little gadget, and I'm just going to put my foot on the brake, push that little button, and boom, the car is going to start up. I'm going to push that other little button, and the garage door is going to go up, and I'm going to back up, and that little camera is going to come on. I'm not even going to have to turn my head. Our whole lives are operated by faith. I have faith that when I wake up in the morning, my legs are going to swing out of the bed. I'm going to stand up and I'm going to have strength to stand. That's faith. So our definition of faith for this lesson is faith is an unshakable belief in God and the promises of God. The light switch is wonderful. The key to my car is wonderful. Oh, that's great. What we're going to talk about tonight is an unshakable faith in God and in his promises. Because at the end of the day, that's what matters. Sooner or later, my car is not going to start. Oh, God, help me. But my faith in God and in his promises has to be unshakable. Faith also involves God's commands. We're expected to put confidence in everything God tells us to do and actually do it. And I personally believe that I am expected to do what he tells me to do without question. But why, God? Oh, I don't want to be doing what he told me to do, but he told me to do it, so I'll just persevere and do it. I can't imagine my husband waking up every day and saying, you know what, I really don't want to be married to you, but it's what i got to do, so I'll just persevere and stay married to you. Huh? Well, I love you too, sweetheart. 
I'm going to go out there and burn your toast. I mean, make your toast. Can you imagine? What kind of relationship would that be? Oh, I trust you so much, God, that I really don't know why you're requiring me to do that, but, you know, I really love you, so I'll just suffer through it. I don't understand it, but bless God, I'll do it. Oop, I'm meddling now. Faith is a powerful weapon against our enemies. It's a powerful weapon. When we are under danger, there's a natural apprehension that comes to rob us of our faith. And that's what fear is all about. If the enemy can inflict fear upon us, it robs us of our faith. It's like ripping the rug out from underneath of you and having you fall right on your backside. Whoop, down you go. And there you lay without any faith. Faith is like the rod that holds you solid. It's like the firm foundation that keeps you strong. Luke wrote in Acts 27, 27 verse 20, And when neither sun nor stars in many days appeared, and no small tempest lay on us. It wasn't a little storm. It was a huge storm. All hope that we should be saved was taken away. Imagine, not just some hope. All hope was gone. Can you imagine all hope in your life gone? Hope. All faith is gone. Because faith is the substance of things hoped for. So when the stars quit coming up and the sun was gone and the storm hit, big storm hit, what did the enemy do? Miriam, took away all their hope. Right? Wow. And that's what he tries to do to us. Rob us of our faith. If you go back and read the story leading up to our memory verse in Mark chapter 4, you'll see that it wasn't until Jesus had calmed the storm. He just didn't berate them and say, why is it that you're so fearful? Why isn't that you don't have any faith? If I could use a Jeff Arnold term. You morons, get it together! No, I didn't say that. Jeff Arnold said it. But it sure was fun. He didn't do it right away. First he calmed the storm. And then he fussed them out. You're going to hit storms in your life. Don't let it shake your faith. That's why it's so important that you grow your faith before the storm hits. You've got to grow your faith. Regarding his second coming, Jesus asked this question. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Is he going to find any faith? Because trouble's going to come. Storms, wars, and the rumors of wars, more trouble. Everything that can be shaken is going to be shaken. And then is he going to find any faith left? When all is happening, is our hope going to be stripped from us? 
Why was Jesus concerned about people having faith? Hebrews 11, 6. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that, number one, he is. You have to believe that God is. And that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So you have to believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. He's not a rewarder of everybody. If you're complacent, if you're lackadaisical, if all you do is come along for the ride, if you just kind of sort of are in it for just kind of, he's not going to reward you. That's not theory by Pam. That's the word. He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. We are going to be blessed if we have faith and if we diligently seek him. But lacking faith and failing to live by faith displeases God. So we also can see by the word of God that there are degrees of faith. This is the word. It's not, again, it's not theology by Pam Parker. We are all given the measure of faith. Now, I take that to be that there is the measure. I take that to be that there is a measure that we all start off with. Personally, I believe that that's all the same for everybody. The measure. The same way that it is there, there's the salvation. There's only one way. I believe that we are all given the measure of faith to get started on the journey. Like you are given the tank of gas to get your car started. And then what happens from there is up to you. But after that, there's varying degrees of faith. And what I get from the word of God is that's up to me. How much faith I have is up to me. Oh, I wish I could have be a better woman of faith. I'll get busy. It's up to me how much faith I have. But I see that there's varying degrees of faith by what is written in the word. Romans 12.3 says that I am to add to my faith. I can only add, have more if I add. And we're pastor's going to get into that in another lesson. But to my measure, I have to add. And then... I'm sorry, that was Romans 12.3 was the measure of faith. But 2 Peter 1.5-8 tells us to add to our faith, which is an individual personal thing. Some people, poof, come out of the start gate with their salvation, and they just take off like a lightning bolt. And all of a sudden their faith is here, and their measure is like five cups. Say we're given a teaspoon to start with, and all of a sudden they have five cups, and they're overflowing with faith. I mean, their faith could just poof. You could bake five cakes with it. Like, wow. Why? Because they add to it. They're continually adding to their faith. It's what they do with it. So it increases. So no, not all of our faith is the same. And that's a personal thing. Not all of us are the same in all levels of education. Why? Not a hard question. 
not all of us applied ourselves to the same level of education. Right? So if we don't apply ourselves to adding to our faith, our faith is not going to be the same as someone else's. So Jesus said that in the last, that he described some people of his day as having little faith and others as having great faith. So it's a good question to sit back and ask myself, how much faith do I currently have? And if I'm not happy with how much faith I have, then I need to get busy and do something about it. So how do we grow our faith? First of all, by hearing the word. Now, this is not just a complacent spectator sport. I come to church, I hear the word. That's good, but it's not enough. Do you get into hearing the word? Do you respond to hearing the word? Do you take notes to hearing the word? You don't, this is a hypothetical question. Don't answer. Because I'm not up here to embarrass anybody. But what was the scripture reference to Sunday's sermon? What was the title to Sunday's sermon? What did you pray about after Sunday's sermon? What did God change in your life after Sunday's sermon? What did you go home and study Sunday night about Sunday's sermon? If you can't regurgitate, reiterate, repeat one thing of one of those questions, you did not hear the word on Sunday. Someone heard the word. It's more than just a, it's more than just a spectator sport. You have to hear the word. You have to grasp the word. The word isn't just a, isn't just something that you come and sit here and go, hmm, amen. Oh, that's good. You eat the word. You feed on the word. The word is our food. It's our daily substance. What's one thing that you read, that you fed on the word out of your daily reading this morning? Ask yourself these questions. Romans 10:17 says, "So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The word is our daily food. It's our bread of life. It's our substance. It's what increases our faith. If we don't know the word, we won't increase our faith. We have nothing without the word. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. So if I don't have the word in me, I'm not going to have faith and I won't be pleasing to him. It's like a, it's like a circle. It just goes round and round with each other. Just as our human body needs daily food, our spiritual being needs nourishment, and that is the word. We need to read the word, hear the word, preach, study the word, memorize the word. Did I say memorize the word? Did I say memorize the word? And then we need to apply the word. It will do us no good to do the first four if we do, don't do the fifth one. There should not be one sermon preached that we are not hitting our knees. 
I'm going to meddle. Every sermon is for me. Every sermon. There should be something, even if if it's a salvation message, I should be praying saying, thank you God for saving my soul. I was in tears last night on the phone after Lady's Prayer talking to the young man whose dad baptized my husband. To the young man that handed me my first Sunday school quarterly saying, thank you. Thank you. Every sermon is for me. The Word of God is alive. Just as a baby starts off on only milk and then goes to pablum, milky cereal, and progresses to strain food on, and on to table food, before you know it, making their own peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, their own steak dinners, that's how it should be for all of us. Yes, we grow from the initial milk of the word, the easy word, and we grow to our steak dinners. But that milk of the word, the early gospel message, never I never tire of hearing it. It's still just as exciting to me as it was when I first heard it. Yet I love to hear the deep things of God too. One is just as rich as the other. We need to allow the word of God to work in us and then be obedient to it. James 2.14 tells us, What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith, and have not works, can faith save him. It's comforting to know that if we just do the things that God tells us to do through his word, our faith will grow. We don't have to figure it out for ourselves. We just need to do what God tells us. Now, I'm not saying that the blind just leads the blind. I'm not saying let's all go up and jump off the roof together tonight. I'm not saying let's all go drink grape Kool-Aid together. I'm not saying that we just all... I'm saying if you see it in the word of God, I'm not saying Judas went and hung himself, let's all go do likewise. You use wisdom. But I'm saying, when the word of God speaks to your heart, and it's line upon line, precept upon precept, you obey the word. And that's how your faith grows. You prove God. James supports his statement with a practical example. If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace and be warmed and filled, notwithstanding you give them not the things needful to the body, what does it profit? Even so, if faith hath not works is dead, being alone, we have to act on the word. We have to have works with our word. You can know the word inside and out. You can repeat the word inside and out. There's a lot of scholarly people, but they don't apply the word to their lives. And if you sit in the, within the hearing of the word and you don't respond to the preaching of the word, we know the story of the four types of ground. Before you make it out to the car, you will not remember what was preached. Point in case. I just asked the four questions. 
You have to respond to the preached word, to what you hear, or you will lose it. Put away your tablets. Put away your cell phones. Put away your gadgets and go back to the old Pentecost and pay attention to the word of God. Respond in the old Pentecost way. Get your mind on Jesus. Get your mind on the Word. And let the Word grow your faith. I challenge you. Bring your paper Bible to church. Bring your notebook and pen. Take your notes. Respond to the Word of God that you hear. And study the Word. And watch your faith grow. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. The Word is alive. It's powerful. Hebrews 11 is called the faith chapter. And this is going to talk a little bit more about the the act on the word. We read about Abraham here. And when I, you know, you had said, well, they didn't have the New Testament. And you're right, they didn't. And this just blows my mind. They did not have the written word of God. We struggle sometimes with obedience. And we have the written word of God. We have preachers to preach to us. We have scholars to explain things to us. We have so many things. We have YouTube to watch. Great men of God. We can listen to the preaching 24-7 if we want to. You know, Abraham was just out there by himself and had to hear from God for himself. Woo! Yet we hear of Abraham hearing from God to leave everything. Pack it up, Jesse. Leave everything and everybody that you know. And go where you don't even know where you're going to. That's what God told Abraham. No, I'm not telling you that that, this is not the voice of God. I'm just using you as an example. Stay home with that. But by faith, the Bible says in chapter 11, by faith, verse 8 said, Abraham obeyed. And Sarah obeyed with him. I don't read in there where she nagged him. Where are we going, Abraham? I don't say where. Well, Abram at that point. But, you know, he packed it up. The only mistake he made was he took, you know, but that got dealt with later in God's way. But anyway, by faith. By faith. He obeyed. And then verse eight, verse 10. He looked for, with anticipation on his journey, he kept looking for. He looked, by faith he sojourned, looked for the land of promise. Wow. Wow. That's faith. Abraham heard the truth from God, the truth about this future city. A place that he had never heard of, never seen, never anything. And off he went into the wild blue yonder. Wow. 
Wow. Oh, prove it to me, God. Show me again. Speak to me again. Let the grass turn purple if I'm really supposed to go, God. You know, whatever. I've heard of all kinds of fleeces that people have to see. The more we look at the physical circumstances, the more that we have to question God, the more that we, the less our faith will be, the more eroded our faith is. Just believe God and act on it. Obey him. Again, Psalm 119.11, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Without faith it is impossible to please God. So keep the word alive and active. Keep hearing. Keep growing. Keep Just keep it active. And my challenge is real. Get out your old paper Bibles. Leave your devices outside. I like my devices as much as the next person. They can be a huge distraction to us. Huge distraction to us. They light up when we don't think they are and we check something when we don't think we will and, and we read something on the side, you know, we think, well, what does that really say over in this version? And by the time we're checking, you know, what Hebrews 11, 8 says in five different versions of the Bible, instead then pastors or whoever's preaching is off on a whole different topic and we're like, whoa, what's he talking about? And we're lost. We'll make a note that you want to check that in your paper notebook and check it Sunday night when you get home on your iPad or your Samsung or your Android or whatever thing you have. Don't use God's time here to do that. Use it in your study time at home. And yes, I'm meddling. But that's what moms do because they love you. So, next, we test the word. How do we grow our faith? We test the word. Oh, Sister Parker, you shouldn't test. Yes, you should. What I mean by test the word is you prove the word. You prove the word to be true. Do you pray the word? I hope you do. Yes, no, maybe, I do. I love to pray the word. Because I hold God to what he said. Because God does not lie. But I would like to point out that in order to test something, you have to know it. If you were to give me a calculus test right now or a trigonometry test, yeah, no, I'd get a big red F on it. I don't know it. I admit it right up front. It's been a long time since I was in high school. Long time since I studied. Long time. Did I mention a big red F? Yeah. Would not be a pretty sight. I would probably just get out my own red pen and put an F on it for you and save us all the misery. I don't know it. So it just wouldn't be beneficial because I don't know it. I wouldn't test on it. In order to test the word, you have to know the word. So in order to grow my faith, before I can test the word, I have to know the word. Often our faith does not grow because we believe God for the wrong things. 
we pray and believe for the wrong things. For example, sometimes a well-meaning person might encourage us in areas where there are no real promises from God. Somebody might say, our big outdoor picnic is coming up this week. It's forecast to rain. Let's all pray that the sun will shine and the rain won't come. You know, it's well and fine. God can change his mind about the forecast. And it'd be wonderful if he did. But if he didn't, I'm not going to let it shake my faith. God didn't forsake my prayers. Because no place in the Word of God do I find a promise that it's not going to rain on my parade, nor on my picnic. I don't find it. Now, if you have one in your Bible, you hang your hat on that promise. And you plan the picnic, because then it won't rain on your picnic. But I don't find that in mine. I don't find it. So I can't hold God to that promise. If we just have enough faith, it's not going to rain on our... I don't find it. So how much faith do you currently have? And how dedicated are we, am I, to increasing my faith? Our faith needs to be growing. But is there a promise in the Bible that it won't rain on certain days. No. So I'm sabotaging my faith, and I'm sabotaging your faith if I stand up here and ask you to pray for that. Now, I could ask us to pray for God to have mercy on us. He does promise us mercy. I could ask you to pray that God would show us favor. He does promise us favor. So there are ways to kind of skirt around it, but... Overall, someone might say, I've applied for a job, and it's the job I really want, but two other people are being considered for it in addition to me, and I'm just having faith that I'm going to get this exact job, and I know if I have enough faith, I'm going to get it. Well, no place in the Bible do I find a promise that I'm going to get exactly the job that I want every time I want it. I know that God will supply all my needs. but I don't find where he's going to give every spoiled brat everything that he wants. And besides, if Sister Linda wants that same job, now God's really in a dilemma here because we're both his daughters. And so we just need to be careful that we know the word and how we pray and also how we set other people up for diminishing their faith. We set ourselves up for a decrease in our faith and not to build our faith when we do not know the word. I know that Mark 11, verses 22 through 24, Jesus tells us to have faith in God. He also tells us in those verses that if we have enough faith that we could speak to the mountain, we could tell the mountain to move, and if we believe when we're praying that we can have whatever we ask and we'll have it, Right? You could look it up. It says that, Miriam. So what do we do with those verses? Yet I also read in Matthew 26, verse 39, that Jesus himself prayed and said, Oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, 
but it is thy will. So my prayers have to be in accordance with his will. So while I would like to think that it may never rain on my picnic and that I'll always get the job I want and that I'll always get the shiny car I want and that everything in life will just go exactly as Pam wants it because Pam's a spoiled, I mean Pam just is God's favorite person and it will always be her way. That's just not reality. That's not the promises of God. There's other scriptures that I do read that counter that logic. Acts 14, verse 22 says that it is through much tribulation that we must enter into the kingdom of God. So what do I do with that scripture if the other things would be true? So I need to be ready for tribulation. Psalms 34, verse 19 says, and many are the afflictions of the righteous. And there's a lot more, but I think you get the idea. I don't want to, you know, bring us down too much with tribulations and afflictions. And so to me, I will pray in faith, but then I trust God for his sovereign will. To me, that's faith. And it's also obedience. Faith is trusting that God knows what is best for me in every situation. And then accepting his sovereign will. I liked this statement when I was, I came across it when I was studying for this lesson. It says, God does not just give us what we want. He gives us everything we would want if we knew everything he knows. Let me repeat that. God does not just give us what we want. He gives us everything we would want if we knew everything he knows. Faith must be based on what God does promise in his word. I cannot emphasize enough knowing the word of God. Education is a wonderful thing. But there's no, and, I shouldn't say but, and, there is no education more important than the word of God. If you don't learn anything else in life, learn the word. Learn the word. Know the scriptures. Pray the scriptures. Have your go-to scriptures that you can hold God accountable to. God, your word says. And if you don't know what to pray, open your Bible and read until you find what to pray. God will lead you there. I've told you before, I am a Bible flopper. By that I mean I just flop my Bible open at times and I sit and I read until God stops me and says, there it is. And then I pray that prayer or that scripture over and over and over until that situation is lifted. And God has never failed me. Never. He has given me scriptures time and time again for myself, for you, for other people. I am not so smart that I know what I should be praying for everybody. If I was, I would be God, and I am not. He is. He knows his word. He knows what he wants to give you. So he will give me the scripture to pray for you. And he will do it for you. But he can't do it if your Bible is closed.
We have to be sure we're not assuming that God promises something that he doesn't. There are many, many easy-to-understand promises in the word of God. Here's just a few of them. God will provide us with all our physical and spiritual needs. Now, that does not mean that God will always heal you. I am standing up here to tell you that you will die someday unless God comes first. It's in the word. It's appointed unto man once to be born and then to die and then the judgment. It's a promise. You can take it to the bank. You better get your ducks in a row and your, and your will in order because you will die one day. Hallelujah, you better be right so that you know where you're going. And if you're not, then you better. There's the altar. There's the water. Get baptized in Jesus' name and get filled with the Holy Ghost so that you have the assurance. Live a holy and godly life. Be separated unto him and be ready to go. So there you have it. Hallelujah, what a thought. Jesus' full salvation brought. Woo! I'd run, but I can't tonight. So there we go. But he will provide us with all of our physical and our spiritual needs. Doesn't mean you're going to be a millionaire, but you will have what you have need of. He'll finish the spiritual work that he has begun in all of us. And those are written on your paper, so you have them. He'll give us the wisdom we ask for as we go through life, James 1.5. He'll never leave us or forsake us. I don't care how alone you feel. You can cry out to him and say, God, your word promises me that you will never leave me or forsake me. Right now, I don't feel like anybody cares about me, like nobody is here with me, but you have promised that you are here with me. So I need a big hug right now, God. And I can tell you that you will literally, if you are sincere about it, you will literally feel his hug. Literally. And if you don't, you tell him, I need to feel the hug. Hello, Jesus. Hebrews 13.5, I'm telling you, Jesus, I need to feel you. You promised me. I'm not leaving here until, and you just keep telling him. It works for me. He has told us that he'll give us peace of mind. Doctors can do all kinds of stuff for you. They can cut you up and take away cancer. They can do set your bones if they break. They can give you medicine to take away your sniffles. They can do all kinds of weird stuff for you and not weird stuff. Sorry. But they cannot give you peace of mind. They can give you Valium to settle your nerves, but they can't give you peace of mind. There is only one that can give you peace of mind, and that's Jesus Christ. And you can hold him to that. You keep your heart and your mind stayed on Jesus, and you can say to him, I need peace that passes all understanding, and I don't care what you're going through. He will give you peace of mind. It's amazing to me. He'll forgive our sins when we repent of them. He doesn't forgive them until you tell him about it, and he already knows about them, but you have to admit them and and confess them and tell him that you're sorry you ever did them. And then he will forgive them. 
He'll make it possible for us to grow and become Christ-like. Isn't that amazing? He wants us to be a reflection of him. Wow. Me. A chunk of dirt. And he wants me to reflect his glory. Wow. What a privilege. He'll work all things together for good in my life. When I love him first and foremost, above everything else. It's not just like a name it and claim it, blab it and grab it. I have to love him first and most. Another promise uh, that we often overlook and choose maybe sometimes to ignore, and to me this is the one that can prove our faith and test our faith and prove God quicker than anything. And I wouldn't have meddled in this one except for Pastor put it in his notes. So I have to do it because Pastor did it. So I'm just being obedient to your pastor. But I love this one because there's nothing better. Well, there's lots of things that's good, but this one to me just proves it. And there's no better way to prove God than Malachi 3.10. You want to prove God? Because he says, he says, prove me now. Prove me now. Bring all your tithes into the storehouse that there may be meat in mine house. And prove me now. Go ahead and prove me now. Prove me now. Saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. One of the greatest ways, in my opinion, and the easiest and most obvious ways to increase your faith and prove God is that of tithing and the giving of offerings. Not only are you robbing God if you don't do it, and robbers and thieves will not make it into heaven. That to me is horribly scary but and frightening. But there's no way to increase your faith faster and in a more obvious way than to be faithful in the giving of your tithes and your offerings. Because there's just this direct correlation. You start to... Even before I was a born-again Christian, and I don't normally give personal stories when I'm teaching, but even before I was a born-again Christian, somehow along the, the journey of my Sunday school in the, as a child, I must have learned about tithing. I don't know exactly where. I can't go back and pinpoint it. But when Pastor went to Italy before we were married, and I came back to Wisconsin and I had a job and I knew that I needed to save money because I wanted to save up money to get an airline ticket so that when he did come home and I would need an airline ticket to fly to Italy, I'd have the money. And I knew airline tickets were horrendously expensive and we didn't even have money to buy a vacuum cleaner. I had to used to have to sweep the rug with a broom. And so that tells you a little bit about what we had and didn't have. So. I knew that, okay, I have a job now, and if I want to have any extra money, I need to be paying tithes, because God will only honor this. Now, you have to understand, I wasn't going to church faithfully. I didn't really know God, like know God. I just knew that I needed to be tithing. So if I wanted to 
have favor with God. How I knew that, I don't really know, but I just knew that. So I started tithing. I just started saving money like crazy. Money was just there. I was never without money. And it's not like I consciously hoarded money back. I just always had enough money for the bills and savings. And I could even buy some extra clothes. And it was like, wow, wow, this is really cool. This really works. This is awesome. So my faith just started to kind of, you know, then lots more happens between there and now. But it just, there's no quicker way to increase your faith and to prove God. Because that's a tangible thing. And the world even knows that it makes no sense. How can you have 90% of something go further than 100%? It makes no sense. But yet when you take your 100% give God the 10% that already always belong already belongs to him and have your 90%, it goes further than your 100% would have gone. And then he takes his 10% and pours you out a blessing that you just can't even figure out. Whoa. It's like, wow. This makes no sense. And then you have excess to start giving offerings like you just, it's like, well, this is kind of fun. Let's see what else you'll do, God. And you don't really do it to see what else you'll do, but you just, it's so much fun to see what he does that you can't wait to see what else you'll do. It's just fun. It becomes fun, you know, like, you stick your wand in the thing of bubbles and you blow it and the bubbles just keep coming more and more and more and you can't wait to do it again because they just keep coming out bigger, you know. It's like, wow. You like bubbles, don't you? I love bubbles. And it's just like, wow. And that's how God is. It's just amazing to me. So to me, with giving of your tithing, um, which already belonged to God anyway, not only are you not robbing God then, but you test your faith and prove God by being obedient to the word, it's a command from God. It's not a choice. It's not an option. I mean, everything in the word of God is a choice. Choose you this day whom you will serve. Choose if you want to be a thief and a robber, or if you want to be obedient to God's word. I mean, that's really what this scripture is saying. But there I go, being a strict mother again. Um, your faith increases because when you tithe and the windows of heaven open, the blessings are for, poured out and your faith increases. And you're just like, whoa. And then it's a win-win. Win. And score one for the team. You know, it's just like, wow. It's awesome. So let's go back to the moving mountains real quick. Because that's a scripture. And people sometimes really take that out of contents. Because Jesus said, if you have faith, and it's recorded more than once. It was in the first scripture that I mentioned. And then it's in Mark, in this Mark 11, 24, um, 11, 22, 24, God, was God specifically promising us that we can look up here at Granddad Bluff and say, Granddad Bluff, move down into the Mississippi River. You know, I don't think so either. I think that it was one of those figurative speech things. Because Luke 17, 6 tells us too that if we have faith as a mustard, if we have faith as a mustard seed, we can tell the sycamine tree 
to be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would have to obey us. And Matthew 17:20 again, mustard seed faith will move a mountain from here to yonder. So there's three scriptures that kind of make reference to this. But there's really no record in the Word of God of God's people ever moving a mountain or moving the sycamore tree. Now, I do think that we were being increased in our faith, that should I ever need to tell Granddad's bluff, wait, wait a minute, halt right there, you are not going to fall down on my city. Got it? Hold it right there. Then maybe it would have to obey me. I don't know. I have enough faith that we just all put our hand up there and maybe it would, you know, God could do that. God could do anything. That's the point of this scripture. But God is telling us that if we have faith like a mustard seed, our mountain-sized problems can be taken care of. That's what I believe. Our spiritual mountains can be taken care of. God could easily do it if the need was real. But with God, all things are possible. God watches over us, cares for us, hears our prayers. So to me, that's what faith is. Faith believes that God watches over us, cares for us, hears our prayers, and answers according to his divine purpose and will. It's not according to what I want. That's what faith is. Faith is not getting my way. Faith is not demanding my way. Faith is not saying my way or my way. Faith is getting to a place I add to my faith so that I have a point of spiritual maturity that I can say, Lord, nevertheless, your will be done. Faith believes. Hope it's not going forward. There we go. Now on to him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. That's what faith believes. God can and does answer our prayers in many ways, even ways that we can't imagine. Sometimes I I would be almost concerned if God did answer my prayers if I prayed it a certain way because I would really be limiting him. He might have a great big grand plan. He may have a big surprise party plan for me. And I might just be expecting a McDonald's birthday party. <laughs> Wouldn't that be sad? There's no limit to what God can do for us when I trust him and obey him. But I have to keep growing my faith. I have to keep adding to my faith. I have to keep in the word. I can't emphasize enough the importance of the word. Because without the word, my faith is not going to grow. It's like planting a seed and watching it sprout up and then failing to water it. The word is what waters our faith. We have to know the word. And I know pastor always says questions, but I'm going to say keep growing your faith and thank you for your faithfulness. And we will see everybody Sunday. God bless you.